It's Brittany Renew, your local real estate expert with Premier Sotheby's International Realty. I have episode two of season two of the St. Pete's Soul podcast here. I'm excited to introduce this. Um, it's an interview with the founder of Keep St. Pete Lit, Marie McDoyle. She is just a little light, um, a ray of sunshine herself. I love her spirit. Um, this organization is uh, an amazing part of the community. Um, it supports the literary efforts uh, all across the community um, through arts, education, and events. Um, they also are big supporters of the youth in our community with different classes and other ways that they reach out um, to school-aged children throughout the area. So if you love the arts, you're going to love her and love the mission of Keep St. Pete Lit. I hope that this inspires you to get involved somehow. And she also offers a lot of amazing insight um, in regards to business, entrepreneurship, and you know, running an organization. So I think that you'll learn a lot from this. So let's take a listen. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I really, really appreciate your time. Oh, I'm glad to do it. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for doing this. Yeah. Um, so I love to start by just kind of asking you to share a little bit of your story. Um, I believe you're from here, correct? Yeah. Just kind of share a little bit of your personal story. Uh, so I'm a Florida native. Uh, so is my mother. My grandparents came here when they were teenagers. Um, I come from a carnival family. My grandfather was in a traveling carnival that would winter in Florida every year. And then the Great Depression hit and he started a fishing business in Pasa Grill and they eventually moved to Johns Pass, and my uncle now runs it, Hubbard's Marina, so I grew up in this fisherman family. Okay. And also, you know, kind of a carnival atmosphere, and kind of, it's the do-it-yourself model, and entrepreneurial, and you know, um, if you build it, they will come, kind of. Uh, recently, we just christened a boat my brother built. <laughs> a dolphin watching boat, boat that my uncle and him were, tearing up the old boat and going, we could do this. And they just built it and they christened it and it's in the water and it will possibly be a, it'll be a shuttle to Forty Soto and possibly Anna Marie Island. Oh, that's so cool. Uh, from Forty Soto, Egmont Key in Anna Marie Island. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a beach fisherman family girl and I love St. Petersburg and um, I have always written and I'm a ferocious reader. So I was a bit of a bookworm in a big, loud, boisterous, in many ways, dysfunctional family. So my journey has been an interesting one towards health and, um, and also like wanting meaning for my life. Mm. So, Do you feel like you escaped into books growing up? Absolutely. a help thing? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I actually just got asked to write um, something in a book about uh, crisis therapy. I'm not sure exactly, but uh, the, oh, it's wow. about using poetry for therapy and... Absolutely, um, I think I'm one of the healthier people in my family. A lot of them are moving towards health, but I, I started moving towards health a bit earlier than a lot of them because of reading and writing. And I saw another outlet, another possibility. Um, so I'm really grateful for that, and that's why I'm so passionate with what we do with Keep St. Pete Lit, especially yeah. with classes for kids and you know, spreading the love of literature. Yeah, I mean, I think it's so important, like, just to keep funding things like arts and culture and music for kids. Absolutely. I mean, gosh, just think about, there's countless stories of the people could say that this particular type of art saved their lives. Yeah, you know? 
Yeah, and a lot of our programming is in Title I schools, so mm -hmm. it's kids that really need this kind of stuff. So Awesome. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask, what, like, why do you love St. Pete so much? Like, why is it special? Mm. Well, I mean, we're surrounded by water. Yeah. Number one, like, I, I, I lived in the, Ash, the mountains of North Carolina in Asheville for eight years, oh, cool. 95 to 2002. And even though we had, like, you know, um, lakes and rivers, it still wasn't the same as, like, the ocean and bays and big bodies of water. Um, so that, number one. Number two, the weather. I love the weather. I mean, yeah, we have our winters in the summer where you stay indoors <laughs> in the air conditioning. But I appreciate that, actually, to quiet down because you know once the nice weather starts it's like go 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 for eight months out of the year yeah, I mean, there's, you want to be outside all yeah the there's time. 40 million events you can attend and um i just love like right now we're in rosa park you know doing this interview i was born right here at the hospital and so <laughs> cool. was my mother so it's uh it's nice to have that sense of place but i also appreciate it more because i did live away yeah. you know i think that's really important that um i, I left when i was like 20. So I spent my 20s in the mountains, so I really have the contrast to kind of see how wonderful this place is. But I love the community. I love the collaborative element. I love that a lot of people, I'm 45, especially a lot of women, like we're all helping be change agents in the community. And um, it's just a lot of fun. There's definitely a lot of community involvement, I feel yeah. like, here. Which yeah. makes it special. And it's accessible. It's not like this, this because... We basically are Jimmy Buffett world in a lot of ways. <laughs> There's not these entrenched systems of foundations and, uh, you know, organizations that have been around three, four hundred years. There's not, you know, um, it, the, the, the level to try to do good isn't so high or so inaccessible. You know, you can come up with a podcast like this mm -hmm. and people will reach out and be willing to do it. And it, it's not like there's this hierarchy that's already been established. So that's yeah. really nice for coming up with new ideas and trying new things. I mean, you know, keep St. Pete lit. If I was to try to do this in New York City uh, or like one of these big cities, there's so much competition and mm -hmm. it would have been tricky not only because the standard of living is so high, but just, you know, there's already all these established things. So I'm grateful that there is that um, ability to try new things here. That's a good segue into how did you get Keep St. Pete Lit started? Yeah. What was that process like? Um, I was a poet, uh, kind of going around to open mics. Uh, as I said, a reader. We had the Times Festival of Reading, which we still have. The t there's still the Times Festival of Reading. And there'd be pop-up performances at the, like, the universities and stuff, but there wasn't a larger literary dialogue going on. Mm -hmm. And I really wasn't getting my needs met as a reader and writer. Um, I didn't really feel like I fit in anywhere. And... Um, I'm also like a really sensitive person, so like the idea of creating a tone and an experience that I want to be in was a driving force unconsciously. So the art scene was growing. Um, the local movement had started with Keep St. Pete Local about a year prior. The Art Alliance had come online within that year of 2013 is when we started. Okay. The Warehouse Arts District started. So it was, it was, there was a resurgence of the art community. I mean, the staples of the Morian Art Center, the MFA, the Dali had been here a long time. I mean, the Morian's been around 100 years. But wow. They were anchors. But as far as an art scene... Um, it was really growing and I was going to art meetups and you know everything was about the visual and the performing arts and I'm like well you can't have a strong art scene without a literary component mm -hmm. 
I had been traveling a lot to New York City to visit family for about six years prior, and I, literary tourism was was the way I would travel, and I'd go to the different bookstores. And oh, cool! So I was really, I was, and I had grown up going to Haslam's. So it was really just, uh, you know, let's try this, and it, 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 you know, it'll be fun. Yeah. <laughs> and I had no nonprofit experience at all, like none. But <laughs> I do have a poet's mind, which is like, let's take a really big idea, which is kind of the leadership side, and then the let's distill it down to the most efficient and effective way to make it happen, which is good management. So I actually already had a brain as a poet for running a nonprofit organization, who would have thought? That's neat. Yeah. Um, so what would you say, like, in a nutshell, like your value statement, value proposition for Keep Safety Lit? Um, to spread the literary love throughout our community. I mean, to create accessibility for reading and writing for all ages and all socioeconomic backgrounds, all all types of people. So, I mean, really, we serve, you know, kids as, as soon as they're able to read, and we've had some students as old as 95. So, it's really just to, you know, get books out to the community, have writing classes for all different levels, and create a safe space. It's really important that people feel supported, especially a lot of our students are older and it's their first time writing. Um, they're retired, they're ready to write their memoirs or whatever, and we want to create a space where we don't turn people off to, to writing. Mm -hmm. So that's really, um, and it's fun. Yeah. You know, I, I, I come back to fun, because like, <laughs> why do anything if it's not fun? Exactly. Yeah. If you're not passionate about it, yeah. that's the point. Yeah. Yeah. So what was it like to fundraise? Like, how was that aspect for you? Um, it's still a learning process. I feel like um, I kind of understand the game now. Um, we did not start with money. I did not come from money. I did not know people with money. So, and also, as I said, we're kind of Jimmy Buffett world here. So we don't have a, a, a built-in philanthropic base mm. of like foundations that have been around hundreds of years of you know Rockefeller families and yep. you know Vanderbilts and all that. So, um, and there's also a lot of nonprofits. There's like over ten thousand or something in Tampa Bay. There's a lot of oh, art nonprofits. Yeah. So there's number. a lot of competition for funds. So it really took us, you know, even until like the last year or two of just getting sponsorships of twenty five hundred and eventually some five thousand and eventually some ten thousand and and in the nonprofit world until you make over fifty thousand you do not do a 990, which is your tax return, that okay. shows how you spend your money, mm. which grants want to see how you spend your money. So mm. to get the larger grants is not possible until you reach that 50K mark. So it's really just like hustling and piecing it together and creating multiple revenue streams. And um, so I feel like we've hit a good stride right now, even with COVID. Um, I feel also that our programming because we do focus in a lot of Title I schools and social justice programs with kids that there's a lot more money now out there with Black Lives Matter. And um, uh, we're also, our program's expanding. Not just, it's not just arts and culture, it's also like education. Mm. We have a very strong educational component, especially with kids. So it's really just learning, you know, not only where the money is, but because you don't ever want to chase after money and create programming just for the money. Mm. But our programming shifted. 
um, more from event-based in the beginning to, as I said, in the schools, working with seniors, um, other kind of partnerships with that. So, so you started in 2013, yeah. correct? Mm -hmm. Okay. Have you have you been able to do it full time since then, or did you have another? Yeah, when income? I started, I had was like that year had gotten divorced and was living with my mother um, in transition, and. Um, I had got I had left my marriage in January and keep St. Pete had started that summer and um, uh, my mother was uh, is still on our board she said I see you're really on to something and she let me stay with her for about three years and help me raise my daughter mm -hmm. in that transitional space and um, it was just gradually I was able to do it full-time because she covered you know our That's rent amazing. and stuff like that and uh, she saw within six months, she's like, this is something really important. And um, so I would, I do say she was one of our original donors, you yeah. know. She basically um, gave me $500 a month, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is what I would have gotten in child support, which I wasn't getting because my ex-husband pretty much dropped off the radar. So um, that's kind of how I rationalized it in my mind. And um, then gradually, as we built up more revenue, more revenue, you know, I, I'm able to pay myself a salary. And it's still about half what a, a regular executive director makes but it's okay because I live I, I, I already had like that kind of artist mindset of living really simply yeah. and like the dress I'm wearing right now is 15 years old <laughs> wear black it'll never go yeah, out of style there you, go. you know so um yeah I've been able I'm, I feel so blessed I've been able to do this full time and you really almost have to um but you know some people I had to do it full time. Some people are able to do 80 hours and parent three kids and have a lot, the, a lot of people have the some people have the capacity for that. I I, mean, I don't. I'm a, I'm a poet. So I have a, a, a certain amount of hours that I can give mm -hmm. a week uh, socially and also, you know, mo mostly socially. Yeah. So um, to have had another job, like a full-time teaching job or a full-time customer service job or anything else, I would not have had the bandwidth mm. uh, mentally um, to do this. So thank you, mom. That's awesome. <laughs> Thanks, mom. Yeah. Thanks, mom. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. that's it is amazing because most people cannot go full-time into pursuing a passion like that. And yeah. It, but it does make, I mean, I can speak from experience just getting into real estate like seven years ago, I didn't go start into it full time. Yeah. It makes such a huge difference when you can make that pivot yeah. and commit 100% of your time into yeah. whatever that is. And the fact that you you did that right away, I, I'm i 100% sure that has to do with the growth that you've yeah. experienced. And I mean, you know, I didn't have mortgage. I didn't have a car payment. Um, I was on food stamps. Honestly, like for the first five years, my daughter and I were on food stamps. Uh, she actually got a full college scholarship because our, I wasn't making a lot of money and she got it in fifth grade. So there's been wow. lots of blessings to this. Um, you know, uh, I, I just, I knew this was something I needed to do and I just had to believe that it would work out and I just kept at it and it was fun. And, um, you know, thankfully my mother was glad to have us there to help with my daughter because I she was seven you know she was still I really needed a lot of help with that and mm -hmm. my mother was retired at the point, moment so she, it was you know and we're so fragmented as a culture like we don't live in a family unit like you really need villages yeah. to take care of 
families and kids. And, you know, some people look down on the fact that, you know, you live with your parents or this person helps with childcare. Maybe not that much, but everyone feels like they have to be so independent. Yeah. And that means they're successful. But I think it's actually the opposite. Like if you, that's what grandparents are for, you yeah. know, that's, she wanted to help me do this. And she feels, she feels a sense of agency and ownership for helping start this organization. And she's still on the board and, you know, it, it made her, she was an art lover. So she felt that she was contributing to the art scene by helping me grow this organization too. So, um, we sometimes think that donors have, you know, the easy part, they just write the checks, but actually a lot of donors are really grateful because you're helping them express their mission to support the arts. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's a, it's a, it's a give, give and take on both sides. It's a partnership. It's a partnership, and it's a really inter when you see your donors like that, that they're you're you're adding value to their life because you think they're the ones who are adding all the value because they're giving us the money to do the programming, but we're adding value to their life mm -hmm. by their spending their money. You know, some of them may not necessarily be creative. They might work at jobs where they don't feel that they're really giving back, and then mm -hmm. when they're able to write these checks to support the community and organizations, they feel like they're a part of something which is the case from, with my mother. That's amazing. Yeah. It's interesting when you look at it like that. Yeah. Well, it's just from talking to you, it just sounds like you, from day one, have had the right mindset to, you know, abundance mindset, you know, yeah. positivity, um, willing to ask for help. Yeah. A lot of people struggle with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also, like, I mean, I remember days where I would leave, because we lived in Seminole at the time, I would leave and go into town with no money. And I would be invited to lunch, I would be invited to concerts, I would get tickets to this, I would get, I mean, like, my friend at the time, a friend at the time was like, you're the richest poor person I know. Because <laughs> it was just like, that, that's another thing too, like, thank you to our community, like, other community leaders, they'd give me tickets to things, they'd invite me to over to dinner, uh, people always bought our, my lunch, like, they knew that I was scrapping together to do this organization, and I never went into situations expecting people to do that, that was never my attitude. Um, um, it was pretty much right out of the gate with the organization that um, that my the gas for travel with the organization was covered and meals for meetings. So if I was going out into the world, I mean, my transportation was covered and the meeting I was having. So, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, it was really just being resourceful. And also, artists are resourceful. Like, we're innovative. <laughs> we want to do our art, so we figure out ways, even if we have 20 different little jobs, you know, um, we figure out ways to make things happen. Yeah. And, but it was also good, too, that we didn't have a lot of revenue to start with. Because, you know, I think about it now. If we started where we had $50,000 right out of the gate, we would not have partnered with everybody in town. Like, we partnered with, you know, all these big established organizations and um, businesses because, you know, first off, we didn't have rent. We didn't have a brick and mortar. Yeah. I didn't want that overhead. overhead. Yeah, we still don't have a brick and mortar. So we would go into existing organizations and use their space, but we would bring the literary element into art museums and, um, you know, other cultural places. And then also they were already established, so they would promote our partnership. So that was saved us on marketing. You know, mm -hmm. it really, the way we did it kind of scrappy was actually like so much roots. to our benefit, so much to our benefit. And I didn't know it at the time, it was just what we had to do. Because <laughs> as I said, I had no nonprofit experience. It was really just necessity. 
you know. And also, like, it's great to partner with other people. It just made yeah. sense to me to bring literature everywhere, even into art museums, even into... Because everyone was kind of staying in their lane, too. Like, the literature, the literary arts were over here, and the visual arts were over here, and everybody was in there different. And I, I had studied pottery in North Carolina, so I already had a visual arts background. I had been married to a graphic designer. I, I wanted to merge the literary arts with yeah. visual arts. So it all works together. It all works together. Yeah. Yeah. So that's been everything, everything, you know, happened as it should. So the people that you have on your board and or people that teach, like mm -hmm. how did you find the different people that work with you? Um, I actually, right before I met with you, was with two of our um, first year board members who are still on the board. John Kyle and Shelley Wilson. Um, it, it, mostly everybody on our board are writers. Um, they say you should populate your board with the accountants and the lawyers and you know people that have the monetary connections. And um, it just hasn't worked out that way for us. So a lot of them are people that I've become friends with over the years. It's also going back to tone again. Like I wanted to have a certain tone on the board. And we've had, we've had some ups and downs with board members and personality conflicts and is it a year at a time you, um you actually i'm year. not as i'm not as good as that uh, <laughs> we're supposed to be every two years we renominate, and some people come on and go off pretty much in that time but some people have stayed on the whole you know we've, yeah uh well if it works it, it works. works yeah and you know um but i think that uh, you know, our teachers are other writers in the community also that I've just met and uh, they're grateful to have the opportunity to teach these kind of out-of-the-box classes. Normally we're teaching classes at the Morian Arts Center, which we're not right now because of COVID, but okay. yeah. um, I really wanted like, we have nuts and bolts writing classes, but I really wanted like out-of-the-box classes that the universities don't necessarily cover. But everybody pretty much that are teaching with us have MFAs. A lot of them are published and most of them, honestly, have reached out to us. <laughs> yeah, I um, I don't think I've actually gone after a single teacher we have. I think it's all been they've heard about our organization and they offer to teach for us. And I just say, okay, send me a, you know, short paragraph of the class you want to teach um, and a snazzy title in your bio. Can you go in here? <laughs> and, I mean, we've had amazing, wonderful teachers. Six of our teachers have actually been hired down at Ringling College. Like, they actually, oh, cool. one of our board members is the first-year writing instructor there, and she always calls, and she'd be like, do you have anybody? Yeah, actually. So um, That's cool. they all teach, like, they teach at Eckerd, they teach at USF, University of Tampa, St. Leo College, Ringling College. So... Um, and because they're just like two-hour workshops, um, they're happy to pop in and pop out. Yeah. So we've really built a you know community of writers around that, uh, our classes and stuff. And it's great for our students too because some people can't afford or MFA programs or they're not right for them, and this way they can still get quality education with these workshops and stuff. And you know when COVID hits, we're not ready to go in person yet. We still have online classes, but. Mm -hmm. We'll have to see um, when that is. I'm not quite ready for that yet. A lot yeah. of our students are older. Yeah. And um, maybe outside classes would work, but I'm still I'm still not even comfortable myself being in groups mm -hmm. outside. So personally, so I don't know. Yeah. That's understandable. You know? Yeah. So so prior to COVID, you were doing only in-person stuff at the Morning Arts Center. Were you also doing online? 
No, actually, online completely started with okay. COVID. Yeah, and um, it had always been a desire. We actually had already had the foundation in place from about a year prior. So um, <clears throat> all of our programming right now is online, and we were able to pivot pretty easily. Um, revenue is down as far as that goes. Definitely, like we don't ha we don't really have a lot of revenue streams right now mm -hmm. with the online model, um, but. That this allows me time personally to like focus on other programming and grant writing, um, which is growing. Our, you know, as I said, our kids' classes are growing. Uh, partnerships with some senior communities is growing. Um, and you know, I always try to keep my ego out of it. I think Keep St. Pilate has its own trajectory, and I kind of just let the organization lead me. And and you know, I may think, what are we going to do next? And then I get a phone call from somebody, and they're like. We want to partner with you on this big thing, and I'm like, oh, cool. Yeah, you know, you that's never know where that next two things this yeah from. two things this week happen like that. So, um, I try not to get too stressed, and just kind of trust that you know we'll find our way, even during COVID, you yeah. know. And so, you know, maybe we are supposed to pivot more into like the programming in schools and the online models actually working for that we're able to cover more ground with the schools with the kids so it's interesting yeah it's you got to be innovative you got to absolutely kind of go with the flow and um, I think I think the worst thing you can do as um, uh, a business person is be so stuck in a specific box yeah. and not be open to changes personal changes, professional changes, uh, societal changes, like you have to be kind of flexible. And um, I think it's also important to create systems. I'm all about systems, like, mm -hmm. because those systems can be translated into multiple things. Um, yeah. So that's, we're actually, I've created a sustainable model. I didn't realize it. <laughs> I actually awesome. thought like we have to have like, you know, $500,000 a year to have a sustainable model, but actually, being really nimble and not having as much overhead really helped us get through this time with COVID. That's, so that's it was awesome. a good, a good learning lesson. Yeah, you know? I think a lot of business owners can say they've had good learning lessons from COVID. I know it's unfortunate. <laughs> like, luckily we didn't have, to have a brick and mortar, and luckily we did not have a huge staff. We had contracted teachers and people that, you know, they really worked with us uh, to help us, not necessarily were relying on mm -hmm. income from us. So um, I didn't have to lay anybody off. Um, you know, we didn't lose our brick and mortar. I could still pay myself. I had a little bit of a lull this month as while some grants were held up, but it was like a two week lull. I mean, if that's my worst case scenario, Yeah. you know, so um, it's been really interesting. I'm still processing, Yeah. you know, and oh, I definitely. do feel the organization's changing. So I'm allowing that to kind of come in and see what that means. So. I, would, I would think that you would be able to get more reach eventually with promoting online workshops. Yeah, yeah, and especially like we're, we're in talks with the senior games, the national senior games, which is, they have 10,000 members nationally. Wow. And we're partnering with the Oklahoma chapter. They're right in the middle of putting their games out, but we wanna work with them and with their narrative, but that's only possible because of online. You know, and it also is more flexibility for the teachers too. I mean, we miss the in-person 
But like with online classes, they're able to record a video on their own time and then the teachers can show the video on their own time. And we're also seeing other ways of partnering maybe through with other schools in the state of Florida through that. So there, it, there's a potential for, you know, exponential growth with this um, from a little office. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I'm really allowing the organization to kind of like lead me into what is what is the future look like for. Yeah all of um, that I, I'm ju jumping ahead of myself but I always like to ask like what are long-term goals and dreams and, but it you know something that comes to mind for me is like you know, obviously it's called keep St. Pete lit yeah do you envision that that model kind of growing into other cities and states and you know across the country uh well we've talked about like the name being limited but then also like a lot of people said you know, St. Pete is a really cool place to live. And, you know, I don't really know. Um, it might not be me that takes it to that, like, epic level. I, as I said, like, I only have so much capacity. Yeah. I'm not sure that I would want to run a million-dollar nonprofit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'd want to be national, run a national nonprofit. Like, I'm also a poet. I'm a mother. I like my free time. You know, like, yeah. uh, I'm kind of in my sweet spot right now. Um uh, you know, it's, I think it's really important that people figure out what their sweet spot is because being successful isn't necessarily having, you know, $250,000 a year. Mm. I think a lot of people have possibly realized this during COVID too, because things have gotten quieter and they've, they've, they're having to do more with less. And, um, you know, obviously this isn't talking about people that are in poverty and are, are dealing with, you know, injustice and all these things. But, um, um, I don't know. I, 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 I'm letting the organization lead me, you know, um, I'm 45. I think I probably have 10 more years to do this, but, and then I'm like, well, what am I going to do after that? How will I pay my bills? So it really is, um, you know, more, more, I'm always open to more classes and more programming with, as long as we have the systems in place to manage it with the capacity and, um, you know, and we do have three-year plans and stuff like that, but things change. Right now is an interesting time. But we are moving into the factory of St. Pete. I was going to ask about that. Yeah, which is a 95,000-square-foot art space that is um, in South St. Pete in the Warehouse Arts District. And, mm -hmm. I mean, that was one of the meetings I had this week, like, talking about, like, helping them transform the campus into kind of literary uh scavenger hunt for kids I mean you know like we're just brainstorming of things and possibilities and what that can come with partnering with the fairgrounds which is there which is a 9,000 square foot art installation and like how does all that look so you know I'm really excited about what is going to come out of that space uh, the new energy the new partnerships uh, also it's going to be nice to have an office like we haven't had a uh, you know I've been working from home yeah. or or Behar Petronas architecture gave me a desk space that was lovely so um you know I think that as long as it's under our mission still of education and spreading the literary arts we can really kind of do anything we want yeah you know so uh, I'm excited to see where it leads yeah. Open you know. opportunities. I mean, you never know what's coming around the corner. You don't know. You don't know. You don't know what kind of partnerships. Um, you don't know um, who might decide they want a literary component to their law office. You know, you just yeah. don't know. Um, but there's always something new around the corner. And it's what's also cool is, you know, right before COVID hit, I was actually feeling a little stagnant in that, well, we've kind of done everything. 
like what should we do next and <laughs> but then something new crops up like some some other new i mean i never imagined having conversations about turning public you know gardens on a property into storybook experiences with kids i mean i did, that was not on my radar but that's you know that's cool. a conversation we're having about the factory and and creating little narratives and you know scavenger hunt feelings on the grounds like that's a whole different whoa what's that look like that's you amazing. know but i'm always like oh that sounds like a cool idea all right well what's the first steps like big big picture then how do we create systems to do this and will it be fun yeah. Fun. You check fun those boxes. Yeah, if you check those boxes. I mean, that doesn't mean fun doesn't include hard work. It doesn't mean that it doesn't include discipline. It doesn't mean that it doesn't include management and leadership. But it's something that you enjoy and are passionate about, you know. I mean, there'll be moments where I'll be like, oh, my God, what did I get myself into? But the overarching concept is exciting. And I would love to have a space where kids can come and, you know, have this experience and then we have book boxes there where they can take books and especially because it's located in South St. Pete which is a predominantly African-American community and really pull give some those kids an opportunity to mm. have those kinds of experiences in their neighborhoods yeah you know because some some of the families don't have adequate transportation and um, you know if we become kind of this place where kids know they can get free books and that kind of thing um, without that feeling of, um, you know, we're a charity here giving it to you, yeah. and, you know, it's, it's an interactive art experience that the kids can come and be a part of and, and, um, it's, it's like inclusive. they can give back and get yeah. at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really into that and to see what that looks like. And even if we start small, you yeah. know, I start just with a little corner with a little book box, you mm -hmm. know, and it gradually grows, you know, so we'll see how that all goes. So I'm not familiar with the factory. Is it, is it like a co-working space for artists or is it something that you're solely a part of? There is 95,000 square feet. So there's six buildings. Okay. Uh, the office space that we are in, we have an office, but there is co-working desks, um, which will be an option. And then downstairs in several of the buildings will be artist studio rental space. Okay. Um, cool. They're not, they're partitioned off with, uh, like accordion paper dividers so it is very kind of communal which is a bit tricky now with COVID but you know I don't hopefully this is wrapped up within a year or whatever you know what I mean so um, the fairgrounds as I mentioned will be there and that's a 9,000 square foot art installation quirky Florida I don't even know what they're going to do but it's <laughs> going to be neat um, there the goal is that they'll get some restaurants in there coffee shops daddy cool records will be in there okay yeah. um, you know it's the goal is that it's a it's an art uh, space um, that's very community supported and um, like the people can come just walk around and get to experience a lot of different yeah things. and I think that they're still they're still in a lot of the planning stage because COVID threw a kink in a lot of um, people that were moving in uh, there's they're in a transitional phase still but I mean it's getting built it's really exciting um, we're in talks right now about having the grand opening December the weekend of December 12th um, and having a bunch of you know outdoor events there so um, I'm just along for the ride like <laughs> Kara Behar uh, and Liz Dimmitt are in charge of the whole project and um, I think they're highly intelligent uh, 
women that make stuff happen and are very community minded. And I just say, okay, just tell me what you want me to do. Yeah. Um, I'm along for the ride. And, and you know, it, that's a, another advantage is like we, I'm not giving up a brick and mortar. I'm not giving up my other partnerships. I'm not putting all my eggs in one basket. Like, you know, we go in there, it might not fit for us. We might not fit for them. It's okay. We tried it. Mm-hmm. We move on to what's next, you know. Yeah. So um, I, I do have that flexibility to be like, oh, this will be fun. I mean, if you're running a, a million-dollar institution, you have to be a bit more, you know. Strategic. Strategic <laughs> and measured and all these things. And, you know, we, we're always keeping our mission in mind. It isn't like fly by the seat of our pants. Like, we have regular programming that's consistent and regular partnerships that have been going on for five, seven years. So um, it, it sounds fly by the seat of your pants, but I think that that's the leadership element. You know, you look at the big picture, you look what's coming, you stay in that visionary space. The management side is all the systems and the operational and stuff like that. So you need, you need to have both. You need to at least, if it's not one person that has both, you need to have a management side to an organization and you need to have the leadership side because mm-hmm. without the leadership side you're going to just stay m- mired in your systems and you won't be growing you'll be stagnant mm-hmm. and if you just have the leadership side you won't have the management and the organization will fall apart yeah so that's a you know yeah well listening to you talk i think you could run any nonprofit anywhere in the world it sounds like you got your head on straight so <laughs> I wouldn't run another one except mine <laughs> I've already made that decision if I was if I was not to do keep St. Pilate I probably uh, I probably wouldn't work for another nonprofit just because I have a lot of freedom and latitude and as I said I can kind of set the tone with the organization yeah. and um, I love love people but I am a complete free spirit and like to you know I don't know <laughs> Working for someone else is not appealing to me. I, I got you. Yeah, yep. that's why I created my own reality. Yep. Yeah. Well, it's a great reality. It is a great reality. <laughs> I really am grateful every single day, multiple times a day. I never, ever take my life for granted, ever. Um, I feel very fortunate to live in the city during this time. Um, not necessarily COVID time, but, you know, the time of this the city of St. Petersburg right now. I feel grateful to be born here. I feel grateful that I am able to work from home right now when my daughter is in school virtually. Um, I'm grateful I can pay my bills. I'm grateful I can pay the people that work with us mm-hmm. and we can still help our community out. So I have, and I can still be creative myself. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have like structure in your day where you set aside time and write? I am actually really disciplined. Okay. <laughs> I have, uh, I do yoga twice a week. I swim a mile three times a week. I write um, at least an hour every day. Uh, I'm editing my third poetry book, and then I awesome. run the organization, and I am a single parent with my child, and then I also find time to have fun and, you know, um, and then have meetings. And I mean, I, I, I try to be intuitive in all my decisions. I try to be very consciously, con- intentionally um, plan my day. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stephen Covey talks about that, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. You figure out what your mission statement is, and then you build your life around your mission statement. So if you're always coming back to your mission statement and every decision you make, is this a part of my mission statement? If it isn't, you say no to it. Absolutely. You know, and um, it's about boundaries. It is about discipline. Um, 
but like even today, I mean, I met with some board members this morning. We wrote together. I'm in this meeting with you. I'm going to go do yoga right after this. I was on emails all day, wrapping up some stuff with grants, making meetings for next week. Tonight I'm meeting with another board member and we're having dinner together. You know, like tomorrow I'm, I have a typewriter talks I'm doing. I swim in the morning. Like it's just, you structure your week. It's just, you create systems. I'm yeah. all about, I keep bringing up systems, no, but it's, it's really important to, the goal for me always is like, if I have this structure and a system in place, I can space out. Because <laughs> yep. you don't have to worry. It's the same thing as like raising a child. You set boundaries and a foundation for a kid and then let them play in those boundaries. It's the same thing with your own life. Like you create this structure for your life and then you have play within it. Yeah, the creativity can can flow out of that. Yeah, and yeah. people think that being disciplined is not fun, but I actually, you know, when I'm, and even like swimming laps, like I'll swim laps um, in the morning and, and sometimes it takes like two hours between the hour it takes to swim and then like, you know, showering after and everything. But I'm working stuff out in that hour in the pool. Yeah. I'm, I'm running the organization as I'm swimming laps. <laughs> I'm working out, like if I have any kind of problem that I don't have a solution to within 10 laps, I figured it out. Mm. And it, and, and it also like gives me the endurance to do the, all that I do and I feel better. And, um, you know, that's part of my job, I say, and doing yoga too. Cause if you don't feel good in your body, mentally, physically, emotionally, you can't do all the things you want to do. You can't, you have to eat well, you have to sleep, get enough sleep. Um, not over overdo alcohol these things like uh be around healthy people mm. it's it's all the systems i keep saying systems but <laughs> it's like an ecosystem your body is an ecosystem yeah. your life is an ecosystem and they all have to have enough oxygen and it's to me the word synergy uh comes up and that's i would say personally this year um, i have a business coach that i work with and the idea of synergy where everything in your life works together yeah and being disciplined with with time blocking and structure those are two things that I've learned a lot this year and the growth that I've had I mean I can just see the overall improvement in my life and business it, it's just it's huge and I struggle with that concept of well how can because I'm a creative person as yeah well. so yeah. it's like if I'm pinning myself down into this how can I be creative but it's it is 100% the opposite effect when you actually do yeah and I mean it's to. like a relationship like if I give my writing at least an hour every day like when it's time I light the candle I I'm in the space I'm in the zone I make the tea that's my time I show up you know and but then also like I'm being creative all day long. Like, if you think of everything you do as a space for inspiration, it isn't just that time when you sit down. Um, it is about, like, every moment is creative. Um, and, I, and I also wake up in the morning and I think about my day. Like, I think, what do I have today? And I kind of feel my way through all of the experiences I'm going to have so then I have a clear mental picture of how the day, I mean, you don't know how your day's gonna go, but you have a kind of idea of the energy level you need to have. Mm -hmm. And it may, even though I have four things, I'll think of, well, wait a minute, this thing in the morning is with people that I really enjoy being with. Yes, I have a business meeting in here. That's, that's a different type of energy, but it's okay because I'm not lining three meetings up. Yeah. I don't have the bandwidth for that. And then I'll throw, I'll have yoga in there. So then that'll, 
amp me back up for the next. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to like visualize your week and but especially every morning before you get out of bed and I meditate 10 minutes every day in the morning too that's, oh, that's huge amazing. that changed my life I started doing that over the summer because I wasn't happy like my friend I felt maxed out when in the beginning of COVID because mm -hmm. I was way too social and I was realizing that I was not wanting to be as social and so COVID really helped me to get back in the flow of being quieter Instead of being an executive director that happens to be a poet, I'm now a poet that happens to be an executive director, and that's a different mindset. Yeah. You know, figure out what your lane is and just stay in your lane. I mean, you know. Yeah. You, your lane can encompass all different types of things. It doesn't mean it's like you're just stuck. Yeah, yeah. But, but knowing like, who you are. Knowing who you are. What's your mission yourself. statement? Yeah. What, what's interesting to you? Just kind of stay, and then you just stay out of things that aren't your business. <laughs> and then you don't get wrapped up in how did I get here? How am I spending a week on something that I'm not even interested in? Yeah. How am I spending a year on something I'm not interested in? Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah. But this is also from a place of privilege. I have a job. I have a roof over my head. I'm a white woman. Like I have a lot of privilege. I'm educated. Yeah. You know. This is these are I'm speaking from a place of privilege. There's a lot of people that don't have all of these options that I do. You know, I did have a mother that let me live with her while I built this organization, you know? Um, well, but it, that goes back to you're being responsible with your platform. And, yeah. You know, sharing, sharing yourself, sharing these ideas, sharing all this, you know, amazing nonprofit with the community. Try to help other people who haven't been able to experience the things you have. Yeah. Or grow in the way you have yet. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in an alcoholic home and, you know, books saved my life, you know. And I think that if we can give kids the tools to read and write, they can learn how to advocate for themselves and then they can advocate for their community. They can advocate at city council meetings. They can advocate for themselves at jobs. Um, they can learn that their voice is important. Uh, and that, I mean, if you have one kid that breaks out of whatever their you know, oppressive, dysfunctional situation is, and they come back and, you know, think about what some of the great leaders we've had, you know, that how they transform culture. Mm. You know, if you had one child of all these years of us doing this, if one child did became that person, then it's been all worth it. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's amazing, yeah. 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 So, I guess that's my story. Uh, it's a fantastic story. <laughs> I, I mean... I'm a huge fan. Before I got introduced to you by our mutual fan, friend, Elizabeth, um, I followed, you know, Keep St. Pete Lit, um, you know, on the social platforms and yeah. newsletters and all that, um, just being a writer myself, so, and I love that creative side, so I've, I've been a fan for a long time, <laughs> and that is, I'm honored to get to see her and talk to you, I feel oh, like. Oh, thanks, for, thanks and, for doing it. We're in Rosa Park in my neighborhood. That is, so. I mean, this is a beautiful setting. Yeah. Um, I feel like I could talk to you for hours, which mm. we probably shouldn't do for the podcast. Yeah, right. <laughs> People are like, we have lives. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, keep writing. It sounds very well, well put together right now, me talking about all of this, you know, seven years out, but it has been, uh, you know, on the street learning curve, yeah. you know, like my learning curve was gigantic. Like it, it really was just uh, having a passion for something, um, not wanting to work for someone else, 
you know, I grew up in the punk rock scene, so I saw the do-it-yourself, you know, ethic. Put out your own records, screen print your own t-shirts, yeah. you know, put on your own shows. And then growing up in a, you know, entrepreneurial family that, you know, my brother just built a boat from scratch. <laughs> and it cool. floats. That's cool. <laughs> that will shuttle people from Fort Soto to Egmont Key and possibly Anna Maria Island. <laughs> he just built it. He welded this boat together and like... It's like you have no it's idea crazy. what you can accomplish yeah. until you try. And that yeah. was just a little bit every day. That's another thing I, I want to mention. Like you just have to do a little bit every day towards your goals. You know, Keep St. Pete Lit was built a little bit every day. You know, yeah. it's not... I'm trying to teach my daughter that. She's in ninth grade. She was behind on her homework. Um, she'd probably kill me for saying this, but it was like, just do a little bit every day. And you get, it adds up. If you, like writing a book, if you write a page a day, you'll write a 365 page book in a year. And that's the average of every book, that page numbers that we read in our book club, 350 <laughs> pages. The average work of fiction is 350 pages. Yeah. So a page a day, yeah. you know, just... It adds up. You're speaking my language. I love it. Yeah. And you can do that in a, with a full-time job with children. And, mm -hmm. you know, you can find space. It, some people need to wake up early and write. Some people need to write, wake up late at night. Some people need just one day on a Saturday. Mm -hmm. Some people need one weekend a month. You know, Deep Work. I can't recommend that book enough. It's called Deep Work. I don't know the title, uh, the author. Okay. But it talks about, like, it takes 20 minutes to get deep into something. Um and uh, you know, just finding your time to do your work, staying away from distractions, which you know, the whole world is set up to keep you distracted. Yeah. Because then you keep buying things. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you go keep, down this rabbit hole. You, you stay a consumer. You stay a part of the machine. The whole world is set up for that. Yeah. That's what meditation comes in because it helps you to kind of separate the noise. So. It's awesome. uh, well, it's kind of wrapping up here something I always like to end the podcast with yeah. is kind of rapid fire. Okay. What is your favorite spot to go out for a night out? Now, granted, COVID obviously is a little different, but getting a cocktail, you know, those kind of things, what would be your norm Any, to go to? Anywhere that there's a large body of water. <laughs> I like to be, especially, I loved being by the, at the beach or in, by Tampa Bay at night. Nice. I so love it. To the new pier. I love going to the new pier. I take my daughter there. Her, all of, all of her friends. She's 14. They love going to the pier. Awesome. So that's a wonderful resource. It's a lovely spot, and I love they didn't do the lighting too bright. Mm -hmm. Like it's it's there, and there's like 40 different secret spots you can hang out at. <laughs> so it's a wonderful space. So yeah. All right. What's your favorite pizza place? Now, I know you're gluten-free yeah like me but I do love pizza I really love old Northeast pizza okay yeah I love that they only take cash <laughs> I love that they're just like what's up I love that you can get this gigantic gooey pizza for $15 I love that it's a neighborhood pizza place yeah. you know I still get pizza and craft cafe because that craft. you know I am gluten-free so it's not so guilt guilty <laughs> I like their pizza I'm with you on that yeah um, so when you do have those days off where it's just you, yeah. you do whatever you want, yeah. what do you do? Um, usually I will get up and write, make tea, get up and write, uh, read, maybe watch a movie, uh, go for a bike ride with a friend. If it's a yoga day, I'll do yoga. Um, if, 
if it's a day that I am supposed to swim, I'll swim in the morning. Um, I kind of like just let the day lead me. I, you know, I, it'll always start with writing. Um, I try to set Sundays aside that I never have anything to do. Mm-hmm. So that's usually the day where I'll read and kind of follow my intuition of whatever I feel like doing next. I, I usually do yoga also on Sundays. So, um, but I do like to try to be outside you know, as much as possible and spend time with my kids. So, yeah. Well, this has been an absolutely amazing conversation. (laughs) I have no idea what I just said. No, everything (laughs) you said was like little gold. You just dropped like nuggets everywhere. Good. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, how can people find Keep St. Pete? Keep St. Pete Lit online. Yeah. Um, and also, like, your poetry books yeah. that you published. How can people find this? Um, KeepStPetLit.org is our website. Uh, we are on Instagram and Facebook. We're not really active on Twitter. It felt too complicated or time-consuming. <laughs> um, we have a newsletter that goes out every, sometimes every week, every two weeks, depending on when our events are. Um, we usually have a, at least one or two events, public events, online right now, events every week. We always have online classes going. So, um, And personally, my poetry books are available at Book and Bottle. Uh, oh, nice. My third poetry book will hopefully be out, yeah, be out in the new year. Um, St. Pete Press is publishing it for me. So um, I am wrapping up final editing, and my daughter is working on the cover. So oh, it's a bit delayed. Cool. Yeah, she's an artist. She's at the Gibbs PCCA art program right now. Very, very talented young lady. Um, <laughs> and uh, she's doing the cover for me. So she's in virtual learning with homework up the wazoo right now. So it's taking a little longer for the cover yeah. to get done. So I, I had reached out to them and uh, in July, but I'm seeing, I think the book is going to be ready in uh, um in the new year and that's 10 years from my last book wow yeah there was about a four-year difference between my first book and my second book but um you know i've been growing keep st pilot and um but i'm already working on my fourth poetry book and i'm working on a book about my family so it you know as with everything the books have their own timetable Mm -hmm. i'm kind of along for the ride you know (laughs) so yeah you can't rush it I agree. Yeah. Can't rush creativity. Yeah. Or art. Yeah. Or editing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you got to be in the mood to edit. Yeah. Yeah. So it's all going to, but that's why I'm also looking forward to having an office at the factory, not only for the organization, but also like, you know, to have a space where I can work on my own work too. And mm-hmm. um, I'm really grateful for, and it, to be in a creative space all the way around, um, to have a designated desk space is going to be cool. Awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, this is amazing. Thank oh, you. so are you. Thanks oh. for doing this. Thank you so much. And, um, yeah, this has been great. Thank you. Yeah, and I love that we did it in Roser Park. I know. It's a perfect setting. Yeah, if you guys haven't been who are listening to Roser Park, we have a lovely park in the middle of the neighborhood, and it feels like you're in San Francisco. It's like a hidden gem, definitely. It is a hidden gem. So thank you so much for doing this, and thank you for providing this wonderful platform for people like me in the community. Oh, well, thank you. I yeah. appreciate you being here. And I'm glad to know you. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> Yay, jazz hands. (laughs) Maureen makes me smile and laugh. (laughs) I had so much fun hanging out with her, and I just felt like I learned a lot, and I hope that you guys did too. 
I said in the episode that she had so many like gems and nuggets that she dropped along the way, and I really do believe that. She offered a lot of insight for leadership skills and you know how to be an entrepreneur, how to be uh, creative, um, and kind of blending, blending those two worlds together. They don't have to be separate. So I hope that you really enjoyed the conversation and, and learned some cool things. Um, definitely check out Keep St. Pete Lit. If you have not um, yet, you can take some classes from them. You can also donate and support them that way. That would be amazing. They do a lot of great work. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll catch you next time. Thank you.